Dead Stick Radio, Episode 1, recorded Sunday, October 28, 2018. On today's episode, we introduce ourselves, what we hope to accomplish in the podcast, and some of the upcoming podcasts to look forward to. I'm Scott Holmes. So the history of this thing here is we decided to start a podcast talking uh, about and to people that don't get heard very much in the kind of aviation media world. People that are doing absolutely crazy things with airplanes, going faster than anybody else has been, going higher than anybody else has been, uh, and going on adventures that nobody else has really uh, uh, been on. A bunch of these stories don't seem to get told for some reason. We see a lot of podcasts on like uh, uh, summarizing days at Oshkosh or uh, at the Reno Air Races or, or things like that, but very rarely is there a, a good podcast that gets into the background behind these people doing crazy things. So that's kind of what we thought we'd, we'd uh, get into. So I've got a, a race team called Outlaw Air Racing. So I race a, a stock cassette racer. Brian's uh, on the team. He's fairly new to the team and he's uh, very good at the, the whole podcast production type type deal. So um, we decided we'd start a, a collaboration on a podcast and, and talk to some of these people that we see in racing all the time that most people have never heard of. And so that's kind of the background. So with me, I uh, as I said, I've, I've got Outlaw Air Racing the race team got a stock cassette racer uh we've got a new racer on the way it's about uh, just over half built i'd say we can put it together and it looks like airplane all the controls work but it uh has no engine systems or anything yet so that's kind of what we're working on um i went to uh engineering school back in i graduated in 2011 a mechanical engineering degree i work at a chemical plant now uh, up in edmonton alberta and uh yeah in my spare time i just build airplanes and then and race so, Brian, you want to go next? Yeah, so I'm Brian. Obviously, I, I've known Scott for quite a while. We actually met originally back at the Soaring Club, flying flying gliders. Uh, that's actually where I got started flying as well. I, I ended up learning to fly, fly gliders, and I became president there in 2012, I want to say. It was, it, was, it was quite a while ago now. Uh, I have a master's degree in information security, and uh, typically that's what I'm doing. But right now, I'm working on a, a bit of a startup project right now. So when I went down to the Reno Air Race about five years ago with Scott, I was kind of bitten by uh, aviation. And, yeah, and that was before I raced too, by the before way. Before Scott was racing. And I decided uh, I, was, I was particularly interested, but I was working at a, at a big startup at the time and didn't really have the time to get, get working on any of this stuff. So now, now that I'm working on a different startup with, uh, with different time constraints... I have a lot more time to work on this type of stuff, and I'm very, very interested. And just seeing where Scott's been in the past five years alone uh, inspires me quite heavily to say, "Hey, I can be where Scott is in five years," and and that makes me uh, make, makes me quite interested. And that's why I'm very interested in doing this podcast because I want to make other people interested in this the same way I've been interested in this. Just seeing. Scott and other people in the aviation industry develop in the past few years here. Let, let, let's back up for a second, Brian. So this last startup that you started, you were employee number? Employee number one. And today, what is the value of that company? I don't remember what the net worth is. It's pretty close to 12 or $13 billion. That's crazy. It, it is quite crazy. Uh, and I'm quite proud of that company, quite proud of everything I did there. But uh, anyways, moving on, moving on to my own things. <laughs> Aviation is cooler. Aviation is way cooler. So what do you want to talk about next here? You want to talk a little bit about why we're doing this? Yeah, so let's talk about talk a little bit about that. I, I touched on that a little bit already. 
there's a lot of people out there who may be looking into aviation and they see really grandiose stories. People flying, you know, SR-71 Blackbirds or, or, uh, or space shuttles or, you know, military pilots who are top guns and seeing these interesting stories. And while I find them very interesting and I think everyone else finds them very interesting, it doesn't really inspire you to go get in an airplane. It doesn't really inspire you to go hop in that little Cessna and fly, you know, 100 knots over ground. When you know you saw you saw a video where yeah, like it's not relatable. It's not relatable. It's not not relatable. Doesn't make you want to get up there. Instead, I you see you see uh, great YouTube videos nowadays or or whatever of uh, people flying really interesting airplanes, bush planes, flying over through over the Nevada desert, doing interesting things. And I I see that and go. The only thing stopping me from doing that is just that inspiration to do that. Those planes and, are like forty grand too, and they're not that exactly. They're not that expensive, so I am looking at getting my own aircraft here. Scott already has his own, well, two of his own aircraft. One flies, and one will so shortly. Yeah, r racing's different too because the airplanes are really cheap. Like I bought my first one for like uh, mid twenties, I think. So, uh, and you can go race all over the world. It's all perfect. over the world, and it's super. So the cost entry is so low; anybody can really do it. Yeah. And it's it's quite, to me, that was quite shocking. I was expecting you'd need, well, in most cases in aviation, you're talking a couple hundred thousand dollars to get a, a halfway decent airplane. Like a, a brand new Cessna is close to half a million dollars nowadays. And that's, to me, insane. But as suddenly a race plane, you can be spending a whole lot less money because you be spending, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 and getting yourself something that can compete, not just something that you can just peter around in. And that's and very travel in it. And travel in it. And see the world. See the world. Do crazy things in these airplanes. Like uh, one story, for example, uh, the guy that won this year, he, he has, he's a paraplegic. He lost his, the use of his legs in a motorcycle accident probably 10 years ago. Built his own airplane in his garage. And I, actually, I think it was his dad's garage. Took it racing this year and won the whole races. So like that kind of story very rarely gets told. And so that's kind of what we really want to focus on here. We want, we want to bring these stories to you guys. We want to bring... Very interesting stories that, you know, some people in the aviation industry hear, but not a lot of people hear about them. And we want to get, we want to bring out very, these very interesting stories from these people, very, how they got there, and in many ways to inspire other people to get in, in a similar way they did. It's funny, I, uh, I go to uh, various flying events around the city, and I, I talk to a bunch of people from the local flying clubs, and they say, oh, what do you do? I say, I race, I race Reno, and they say, Reno, what's that, is that like Red Bull? Like, I think I saw that on TV. I said, no, I'm pretty sure he didn't. And so I kind of explained it. And they thought, well, that's crazy. How do I get into this? How do I watch this? So it's amazing the number of people that have never heard of Formula One air racing or any kind of air racing other than Red Bull. And so that's, that's the goal here that I think needs to change. And racing is just one of the many aspects in, in, in aviation that, that people can get into today. You can go and within, within two years, you can go from... Uh, learning to fly a cassette racer to actually competing in the Reno Air Races, the the biggest air races out there, and in, in many ways, kind of the only uh, Formula One style air races out there. Uh, obviously, there's some that are, are starting up around the world, but uh, they're the big races. But there is other types of aviation too. Like there's a lot of people don't realize you can fly bush planes and bush planes doing really interesting things. You can go up north. You can go and home down, build your own bush plane. And home build your own bush plane in just a matter of uh, there's a there's one outfit that does was it two weeks to taxi. Oh yeah. And it only takes two weeks from you flying down there until you're ready to ready to basically fly that plane. 
there's uh, other soaring. Soaring is a great opportunity out there for people. There's a whole bunch of very interesting records and stuff that are right for the are right for the picking. If someone were to be interested in going out there and doing them, or just flying in general, that's that's where I got started. That's actually where I met Scott. Look, look at the Perlan project. The Perlan project. Exactly. So got two seats. Now it's a big glider. It's a I don't know what it is, sixty or seventy foot wingspan glider, custom built, and they 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 built a pressurized cabin on this glider, and uh, it's designed to go to space. So they figured they've got like these uh, this wave flying down in Argentina, and. Uh, there are these stratospheric standing waves that form in the in the wintertime. And they take this glider and they, they get towed up in a turbine uh, tow plane to like 40,000 feet. And they soar to like 70,000 feet or something ridiculous. Like, that's crazy. And even, even though there's big things like Perlan, there's still other types of soaring that you can do and get up to 30 to 35,000 feet just in a glider. Yeah, that that's, regularly. that's regularly. That's regularly. And people don't realize you can do this. Uh, I myself have only been to about 15,000 feet because my oxygen system failed part way up. But there's other people at the club who literally 10 minutes after I landed went and got up to those kinds of altitude. And those are local people. And your local club, wherever you are, probably is doing very similar things that you might not know about. That's, that's amazing, being able to be at 30,000 feet. The same kind of altitude you're talking at a, when you're in a 737, but you have no oxygen. You're just in a little tiny glider with no engine. It's it's a very surreal and very amazing experience, and most people don't realize that's possible. the The big type of flying I've always been very super, very interested in is 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 uh, amphibious flying, flying on a basically a flying boat uh, where you can land on land or land in water, and one of the big trips I want to do at some point in my life here is fly down through the Caribbean and possibly do a complete around-the-world circumnavigation flight. Have you, have you tried bush flying yet? I haven't. Amphibious flight? I haven't float flown flight? on floats. I, I did fly on flo floats once. I was. I went and actually looked at a Piper Cub about five years ago out in Kelowna. And, and I got to fly that plane, and it was absolutely... It, it was a surreal experience. It, it was just pure floats on that plane, but it was a really, really fun experience. And if you have a chance to go fly on water, it is uh, absolutely worth it. I did a uh, float plane ride in uh, uh, out of Vancouver. We took off out of some river. Can't remember where it was. We, my sister and I went. So I, I sat up front with the pilot, and it was more like a flight lesson with my sister in the back. And so we flew out uh, east into some of the rivers east of Vancouver, down in between the mountains and down the valleys. And there are these like, like gorgeous blue lakes. Um, at the bottom of these these mountain uh, valleys they're absolutely gorgeous to land and you can land anywhere you want float around for a while and take off again and then fly home again it was perfect it was probably the most gorgeous flight i've ever had absolutely and just imagine this is something that the average person could go do if they just knew about it and you don't necessarily you could pay for someone to go fly you around but believe me it's way more fun to do it yourself where you're you're free to do whatever you want and an amphibious flyer, someone or someone on floats can go fly into a little lake in the middle of nowhere where the only other way to get in there is to hike in. There's no power boats, there's no cars, there's just you, a plane, a tent, and a fishing pole. And it'd be a very, the people I've talked to say it's a very incredible, peaceful experience and something I've always inspired to do. One of the most, uh, I think one of the, the, the coolest things you can do in aviation is build your own airplane from scratch and and particularly bush planes which are, are fairly simple they're like a kite with an engine kind of um they're designed to fly very slowly 
Um, but with an experimental, you don't have the rules and the airworthiness requirements that a certified airplane has and has to go through to get certified. So you can do whatever you want. And um, the performance on the experimental bush planes is ridiculous. So they have that competition up in uh, Valdez, Alaska. And they can, uh, I think they take, I think they're landing in like 30 feet or 20 feet or something ridiculous. It's incredible. Just look up a, on YouTube, just videos of these planes taking off and landing. It's absolutely yeah, nitrous. staggering. Nitrous, it's just incredible, these planes. And a lot of these guys are home building these things. They're they're not planes where they've spent, you know, umpteen hundreds of thousands of dollars for someone else to build them for them. No, they go and they buy these, these kits, they buy the plans for them, and they spend, you know, admittedly, usually 10 years building these things. But they have amazing, amazing performance characteristics, and they're not that expensive to build. It just takes a lot of your time. And modifying the kits is where the fun starts. Like, That's man, really... those guys are running nitrous, like crazy things in bush airplanes. And they blow up too. <laughs> Sometimes they blow up. <laughs> well, they blow up at Reno too, quite a bit. They do. That's blow where up the fun is. Reno can be quite scary. Yeah, there's uh, how many how many maydays are there every year on average? Oh, I don't know, probably. Uh... Like real maydays, there's probably five or six, is my guess. Yeah. Planes coming down without engines or with engines not working correctly, and they have to get that plane on the ground in one shot. We uh, we never described what Reno Air Racing is. Yeah, it's, let's, let's mention exactly how Reno Air Racing works. So Reno Air Racing is, there's six classes. Uh, biplane, Formula One, uh, T6, Sport, Jet, and Unlimited. And uh, they run, so out in the desert, there are uh, several courses, round oval courses. The smallest one is the T6 biplane, uh, or sorry, Formula One biplane. T6 is a little bit bigger. Sport's a little bit bigger than that. And then there's the unlimited uh, jet course, which is like nine miles around. And it's in this valley, right over the airport, right over Reno State Airport. So what we do is, uh, with Formula at least, we line up 3-2-3 three, three on the runway. Uh, depends on on the race location. Sometimes we do like four, four, four and four, and sometimes it's uh, all line abreast, which is really cool to see. Uh, and then we, uh, when the green flag drops, we take our experimental home builds, leave them wide open, and race eight laps at like 50 feet, as fast as you can go. And the only real rule is you have to pass on the outside. Uh, if you pass on the inside, you can go blind on the other guy, and then uh, you could you could actually hit. It's it's fairly easy to have a midair if you try inside passing, so it's it's generally a big no no. Um, so eight laps. Uh, usually by the eighth lap, you're really hot. You're really fast. Uh, your oil pressure is getting lower as the oil warms up. Uh, you're doing about between usually 200 to 250 miles an hour at 50 feet. And so by the eighth lap, you've passed everybody. Hopefully, you pull off the course. And do one cool down lap if you need it, or straight to the downwind, and then pull the power and land. So the whole flight's like 12 minutes, uh, eight planes at once. The recovery is very interesting with eight planes all landing at the same time. And uh, it creates lots of drama. So I guess that that's Reno. So that's that's Formula One. Biplane's very similar. Uh, T6, they have an air start, so they all come down the chute, uh, all line abreast, I think. Um, and fly their course, and then Sport, Unlimited, and Jet all come down their own chute. From behind uh, the mountain called Peavine, which is, I think, from the south, uh, onto the big horse, and then do their own eight laps. So uh, with Formula, the name of the game is aerodynamics, uh, low drag airplanes, because the formula is you have to use O200. The other classes, though, uh, don't really have the, the, the formula rules that we have for engines. And so they can run turbochargers, nitrous, uh, big displacement, 
whatever they want to make power, they do it. And so yeah, sport, sports sport is, has tons of open and opportunities. But of course, yeah. there's things like T6 that have very, very strict regulations, very, very specific type of plane. There's yeah. only specific modifications you can do. You wouldn't even tell that they're modified. You can't reason. even tell that they're modified. Well, at least for me, I, I know the T6 guys, they put like probably 60 or 70 modifications in them to make them go faster, but we don't see them because yep. they're so minor to, to still meet the, the rules. Like with Sport and, a spe- and Unlimited and Jet, you basically see a stock airplane or a kid airplane that's been modded for horsepower. Uh, where in Formula, you really see the thoroughbred racing airframes that are only good at racing. They don't fly well. Uh, they're unstable. They're hard to see. And uh, they're, they're really racers. So they get beat up. They have battle damage. Um, some of them aren't pretty, but they sure fly. Uh, so that, that's kind of the big the big difference between classes. There's uh, there's effectively two ways to make a plane go really really fast. One is add a lot of horsepower, and two is to make them really really slip, really really slippery and very streamlined. And yeah, low drag exactly. And and Formula One is there's only so much you're allowed to do to that engine. You have a very specific engine. You're only allowed to make very specific tweaks. So they make them very very slippery aircraft. Whereas things like Unlimited and Sport, they're allowed to do a lot more to the horsepower of the aircraft, which admittedly does a lot more for the speed of that aircraft than, than just uh, making it streamlined alone. So they spend a lot more time working on, on making those engines really, really powerful. And they do aerodynamics as well, but it's really a focus on horsepower. So it's two very different types of racing. here. The, uh, the cool thing about Formula One, and one of the reasons I was attracted to it is, the, there's an I in IF1, which is the IF1 Air Racing Association. The I is for international. And so in, in 12 days, I think, uh, we leave for a race in Wuhan, China, Wuhan City, which is going to be kind of interesting in central China. The, uh, apparently, they built a, a new airport two years ago called Hanan uh, Airport, which is right on the Yangtze south of Wuhan City. I think it's like 5,000 feet. And so uh, what I figure is the course is set up kind of actually mostly over the Yangtze River. And so uh, the, the airplane's already there, I think. I think it's in China, uh, going to get loaded on a barge right away. Um, we'll be there in 12 days or so. So yeah. I'm, I'm out of here on the 10th. I think you're out on the 9th. Yeah, I think I'm out on the 9th. So, so it'll be pretty quick. It's it's going to be very, very interesting. It's uh, It's my first international race, and I'm very, very excited Last year, Formula One went to, where was it? To Thailand, right? Yeah, we are in um, uh, Pattaya City or near Pattaya City. Um, I can't remember the, uh, uh, oh, the airport was called Utapau, and it was a big Navy base. And apparently they used it in Vietnam to uh, take their wounded out uh, and to take their wounded home. And so it's a, it's a huge runway. It used to be a bomber base. It's like 10,000 or 12,000 feet or something and like 200 feet wide, 250 feet wide. Um, so there's tons of space and it's a military airport, so it's super secure and everything. Um, but the, the course was out over the jungle. And so also in Asia, there's, there's very few rules like there are in the U S and so we, uh, we had quite an adventure over there. It's kind of like the wild west. And so we were like diving between the trees and dodging parrots. And apparently the, uh, the, the jungle was full of cobras. And so we all agreed that if we had to land in the jungle or crash land, we're staying in it. We're not getting out. So it, uh, we learned a lot. Uh, it was my first time racing kind of right near the beach. And so uh, on final, we were out over the over the ocean. It was kind of cool to see. Um, but that race was tons of fun. It was really hot, like way too hot, like 33 or something. And 
in my flight suit and helmet and everything. I was roasting, sweat pouring down my face. So Glenn should be better. It's like high of uh, like 15C or something, which is, I don't know, 65 Fahrenheit. So nice, nice kind of reasonably comfortable temperature with a with a light jacket. I'm definitely looking forward to it. It's uh, we're going down there with a bunch of cameras. We're gonna hopefully do a bunch of interviews down there as well with uh, with a bunch of the other pilots. Yeah, that was, that's going to be a big one. So we're hoping to get lots of episodes recorded down there. A lot of the pilots are very colorful, I should say. Um, so hearing their stories will will be very interesting. I, I like a lot of these people are really good friends of mine. Some of my best friends. But I, I don't know their history. I don't know how they got into it. I don't know uh, their backgrounds or anything. So it'll be kind of cool to, to hear that and to and to share that with everybody listening. Exactly. And I'm, I'm very, very interested in, in, in really meeting some of these guys. I've met a few of them in uh, Reno this year, but don't really get to know them. So this is going to be a, a big, big experience for me. Uh, obviously, Scott's been embedded in Formula One now for a few years now. Uh, whereas I've been pretty new to all this, so it's uh, it's definitely a steep steep learning curve here. Yeah, it'll um, it'll be very interesting in China too. Not just a learning curve for Brian with with getting into Formula One and and uh, working on airplanes and so on, but also in how to simply get around in China. I think is going to be the biggest challenge, and and for me too. Like last year was my first time going to Asia, and. Uh, the, when you step off the airplane, the culture shock kind of hit me pretty hard. And I think part of the reason was it was like 2 a.m. Edmonton time when I landed in Hong Kong, which was like 2 p.m. their time. And uh, so it, it takes a good solid like hour to kind of relax a little bit. And uh, you're also exhausted from getting off the 12-hour flight. But it uh, going to China will be a little bit different, I hear. And like in, ba- in Bangkok, it was, uh, it was very... It's kind of like Edmonton in a way. It wasn't too crowded. It was uh, tons of space and so on. But uh, Beijing and, and Wuhan City is totally different. I think Wuhan City has like 22 million in the metropolitan area or something, which is like 60% bigger than LA. So Wow. That's, it's it's amazing. Amazing how many people actually live in, in China. It, you don't really have an uh, appreciation for scale until you see these types of things where you drive through California and you're like, wow, this, this city just keeps going. And going and going and there's you know how many how many millions of people like 30 million people in California but then you go to Wuhan where it's even more people it's just it's just people all compacted in there Beijing people all compacted in there and they have over a billion people in in uh, is it a billion people in China now oh it's ridiculous so, I don't even know anymore huge huge massive amounts of people there and complete culture shock for 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 people so i haven't been to asia yet but uh it's from what i hear it's it's a very interesting place i can't wait to see your reaction when you get off the airplane well Well, what i noticed too is when you get to vancouver because we're probably gonna fly through vancouver going there as soon as you get to the international terminal where you fly out of you're halfway to asia because everybody else in the airports from asia and all the announcements are in whatever language you're going to already so that's where it'll start, I think. That's where I noticed it mostly, yeah. getting on the airplane. Yeah, I've flown out of uh, Vancouver a few times there, and yeah, you can you can tell there's a, a definitely definitely a different demographic going through the international <laughs> terminal out there. So very very interesting, and uh, I'll, I'll make sure to get uh, I got uh, I'll get get the camera out and record my my experiences getting off the plane and seeing the world. <laughs> well, what do you think? Should we end it there? That's a good lead into uh, what's coming up. It is. Uh, we'll give you guys kind of some contact information to, to get back to us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and our handle is at 
Dead Stick Radio. We also have our website, deadstickradio.com. It's not up yet, but uh, you can uh, bookmark it if, uh, if your browser will let you. Our email addresses, I'm Brian at deadstickradio.com and Scott, Scott at deadstickradio.com. And uh, you can find us here on this podcast. We're going to aim for one a week, so stay tuned. The next one's coming in about 12 days. 